Welcome to Horsepower to Hyperloops, Kettering University's official podcast, where we serve up a smorgasbord of fascinating people, groundbreaking ideas, and noteworthy advancements in fields as diverse as mobility, healthcare, engineering, and technology. The analogy that I like to use is that there's the ocean and there's a sea, right? And the fishermen are the employers and there's a bunch of fish in the sea. And at Kettering, you're the sharks, you're the bigger fish because you can stand out from all the experiences that you've had in corporate America. And the smaller fish are just the regular university students that have had the one summer or two summers of internship. We're getting more experience than a typical university student because of our program, right? And with more experience comes more money. So at the end of the day, when you're transferring jobs or finding a new opportunity, this experience does count because you have worked on real world projects and creating not just an impact, but a sustainable one at a lot of these companies. There's a lot of individuals that graduate from Kettering that are going to the mid to higher level positions coming out of college because of your experience. Hi, I'm Tim Troop Noonan, your host for Horsepower to Hyperloops. And that was Kettering 2023 graduate Hamanth Tadapali discussing how the undergraduate co-op program at Kettering dramatically accelerated his career as a cybersecurity compliance engineer at May Mobility, a top Michigan autonomous vehicle company. Hamanth is also a graduate student at UC Berkeley, a committed civic and political activist, and a musician in his local symphony orchestra. In a wide-ranging discussion, we discuss all of the above, plus the important role of cybersecurity within the rapidly developing future of autonomous vehicles. Hey, Tadabhali, thank you very much for joining us on Horsepower to Hyperloops. You are a 2023 graduate of Kettering. You are pursuing other academic avenues, and at the same time, you are employed in cybersecurity with a company called May Mobility. I want to talk to you today about your academic journey, which was like a lot of people at Kettering, like everybody at Kettering, quite different than traditional, and how that delivered you to where you are today. And I also want to talk to you about May Mobility and what you're doing, because that's autonomous vehicles, and that's a fabulously interesting topic. So let's start a little bit with telling us what you're doing right now and where you are. And again, thank you for joining us. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much, Tim, for having me. I think this is a great opportunity for me to give back to my alma mater and also you know, really showcase what Kettering has given me to be the person I am today. Just your first question here, you know, what am I doing at May Mobility from a cybersecurity standpoint? In general, we see autonomous vehicles being a really big sector right now. And potentially even the future going forward. And that's where, you know, cybersecurity is one of the biggest things that we take into consideration. And the reason we say that is because of so many threat actors facing the automotive sector. There has to be somebody digitally guarding that data and digitally guarding the vehicle from any threat actors trying to get in and hack the vehicle. So at Main Mobility, I do cybersecurity, but I also do compliance. So I do some of the engineering part of it 
And at the same time, I also do a lot of compliance initiatives. So making sure the company is adhering to best practices and controls when it comes from regulations and safety as well. So that's kind of the broader aspect of what I do at May Mobility from a cybersecurity and compliance perspective, not just from a vehicle standpoint, but also from the company, making sure that our data is protected and safe. And now tell me a little bit about May Mobility, about what you are producing and where. I found that kind of fascinating. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So May Mobility is very interesting of a company in a very good way, obviously. We partner with various cities, but we're not really looking at the typical city like New York City or whatever it may be. We're looking at suburban places where we can develop greener technology and safer technology as well. So we have, you know, locations where in Arbor, we have Arlington, Texas, and a few other cities across the country where we operate vehicles for individuals to go from point A to point B in a safe manner as well in an autonomous way. So our goal is to deploy various autonomous vehicles across cities in America to making sure that people are accessing the transportation needs in the best efficient and secured way. So these are not private vehicles. These are commercial vehicles that you're supplying. Correct. So Toyota gives us uh, Toyota Siennas, and those are typically what we're being used to deploy within various cities. Okay. That's pretty interesting stuff. And I want to get back to that. But you're also, by the way, even though you're a recent graduate, you're not exactly in an entry-level position. You're at a level above that or two. Am I correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I am a level two cybersecurity and compliance engineer too at May Mobility. Yeah. Which you were able to do because when you started your full time job, you already had several years, a couple of years of experience during your co op, right? That is correct. Yeah. So I get to co op at various companies. And I think Kettering's co op program really prepared me for the endeavor that I'm taking today. Well, now, just in case having a serious full-time job with a cutting-edge company, in case you got bored doing that, you're in an entirely full master's program across the country at the same time, correct? That is correct. Yeah, I am pursuing my master's in cybersecurity from the well-renowned university, University of California, Berkeley. And they have a great program, as I understand. Am I correct? That's correct. It's the number one program in the country for cybersecurity. So you're going somewhat virtual, but you're going out on occasion, and the rest of the time you're working full-time at May Mobility. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, so it is a hybrid program, mainly for working professionals that are making a very big impact in the cybersecurity field. And I'm surrounded with individuals that are you know, working in the military on cybersecurity missions to people as chief information security officers at companies. So I'm broadening my network at University of California, Berkeley, at the same time, bringing what I'm learning in the classroom when it comes down to the real life situations and applying them you know, back at May Mobility and vice versa. I think that gives our listenership a good sense of who you are and where you are at this moment. What I want to do before we get into more autonomous vehicles is, again, as I indicated at the top, address your academic journey. So tell me a little bit about that. I know you were in high school and you were there with everybody else. You looked at some traditional schools. You eventually chose Kettering. 
Start us with why you did that, where you were at as a junior, senior high school, and then how your journey evolved over the last four or five years. Yeah, absolutely, Tim. In high school, I was academically very involved. I was also extracurricular heavy on various organizations and clubs. I was part of the swim team in high school and partook as various philanthropic clubs across the city and across the school. And I was taking various classes, AP classes, and I really found a passion for computer science when I took AP computer science. But at the same time, I also had a really big passion for government. I've taken AP government and I really enjoyed the class. And at the end of the day, I really wanted to put both of them together because I wanted to get a technical degree. And that's where cybersecurity came into play because you really need to understand the regulations and the compliance and cybersecurity and understand the governance of how to secure data. That's how it really came down to play for me to go ahead and say, I want to look at schools where I can get something cybersecurity affiliated. And no, I was just saying, and Kettering was certainly one of those. There were some other schools that had that option as well. Kettering was one of the only schools during that time when I was looking at colleges. Kettering obviously had the cybersecurity concentration I could receive with my undergraduate degree in computer science, which was I thought was perfect. I was looking at other schools across Michigan, and they didn't have anything affiliated to a specific concentration or a path that you wanted to take down in the long run. And that's why I said the school is perfect for me to go learn and elaborate and collaborate with other individuals in industry and learn about cybersecurity in the classroom. That's where Kettering differs from other schools. Had you had that opportunity at some other school, you would have gone and studied for four years and then gone out and looked for a job in that area, presumably. But Kettering, of course, you work half the time. You go five years or four and a half, depends on the program. And you started working right away. Am I correct? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. So coming back to this whole situation with Kettering, I could have gone to any schools like Michigan Tech, University of Michigan or Michigan State, but I would just receive a normal degree and regular experience in the general side of computer science. But Kettering, what they did is making sure students understood what they want to do within computer science and what specialization you wanted to get out of the program. And Kettering offered that program. And you know, this kind of goes into my first co-op, where I co-opted at Alex Partners, I did a lot of software quality assurance, my first rotation. But after that, I wanted to get into the cybersecurity information security team at Alex Partners. And that's where I did multiple rotations in different groups within the company, learned about the various compliance initiatives that companies are taking, learned about security operations centers, you know, learned about how data is protected within an organization. So I had the whole 360 holistic view as a freshman, not even a freshman, right after I graduated from high school. About 10 days or 11 days after my high school graduation, I was working and sitting with employees that are working on realistic case studies in real life situations. And so you weren't like a lot of interns running and making coffee for people, you were working on real stuff. Absolutely. I was not doing that type of work. I was mainly working on the real world situational activities within the company. That's really going to be putting an impact in the long run. You know, I wasn't fetching coffee. I wasn't uh, stapling papers. I was doing real work that made a big difference at the end of the day. Now, how did that dovetail with your academic track? 
Yeah, for sure. I really think that the knowledge that I gained at Alex Partners, as well as my other co-op at Google, really took a big hit in making sure I understood what was happening in the classroom. And what I was learning in the classroom, I could relate the best practices back into what I was doing at work. So was there much coordination between Alex Partners and an academic advisor, or was that up to you to sort of make sense of marrying these two work and academic tracks? It was mainly, I would say, for my end, but the academic advisor assisted as much as they want to and needed to, as well as depending on how much I wanted them to help with that process. I would say that most of it was just fuel that just came for me wanting to learn more and do more work and have the best outcome at the end of the day. So you're working three months on, three months off for three or four years, going to school, working, going to school, and then you switched, if I'm not mistaken, your co-op near the end, correct? That is correct. So for about two and a half years or maybe almost three, my final two co-op terms, I worked for Google Cloud, specifically under a group called Mandiant, which is their cybersecurity consulting group. So I had the opportunity to work with the brightest of the brightest in the tech industry. I work in the boutique consulting firm at Alex Partners, which is a top 30 consulting firm around the world, and then decided to go to one of the biggest tech companies in the world and work at Google. And then did you finish with a thesis or a special project? So believe it or not, I did a research thesis at Kettering. So I did it on the vulnerabilities of Chrome extensions. Chrome extensions are basically an enabled extra feature that a lot of people can put on various Chrome devices as well as on their Chrome browser. But there is a lot of vulnerabilities around Chrome extensions. And so my thesis was to analyze those various vulnerabilities around Chrome extensions and put up those best practices and best recommendations for people that use Chrome extensions. Well, let me back up now. I know you've got a lot of thoughts about how to go about a co-op program at Kettering somewhere else, having to do with clubs and activities, because you were very involved in lots of things. I know that, and we'll talk about that. But if you were to talk to somebody five, six years your junior, what would you tell them about the benefits and the challenges of a co-op program versus a traditional program and how to think about it, how to maybe succeed at it if they choose that? What tips would you give? Yeah, absolutely, Tim. I think the one of the biggest things, is, especially when you go to Kettering, is you need to utilize all the resources that you can. It's one of the best institutes for engineering and STEM, but at your co-op schedule, I think that one of the first things that you should do if you're co-oping at a various company, is to schedule coffee chats with high-up individuals within a company to understand the organization, how they got there, as well as just understanding how different departments work at a company. Take a lot of notes when you're attending various meetings. Always have that eagerness to do and learn more within the company as well. That really showcases who you are as a person and what impact you're going to be making going forward. That's only an opportunity you have with a co-op project because you're not in a company to ask that if you don't have a co-op opportunity, right? That is correct. And the thing about Kettering is that starting on day one, you're going to be in the workforce, getting that experience, putting that on your resume. 
right? And there's a lot of individuals, and some being my friends, that were struggling to look for an internship their junior year, senior year of college. A lot of other companies, they don't typically take freshmen or sophomores from a general 10 school. But realistically, if you're at Kettering, you're automatically being considered for those opportunities and starting your career off very strong. You're getting a whole lot of soft as well as hard experiences to how things operate in the workaday world, which the only way you can get that is by working whenever you start work. But if you start work at 18, as you did, then you start getting a sense of that instead of waiting till you're out of college, which am I correct? That is correct. Yeah, you're getting those soft skills, those presentation skills, you know, networking at age 18, age 19. And, you know, going forward, you'll be making a huge impact just from your network, as well as the work that you're going to be putting into the company going forward. Your experiences are very interesting, but I was very surprised at the breadth of your experiences. On one hand, we haven't talked about your involvement in politics, which was significant. You were also involved in music. You were also involved at Kettering, and those predated Kettering. You also were involved at Kettering in SAE and some other things. So talk to me a little bit about how you did all that and how that fit in with your academic and professional life. Yeah, absolutely, Tim. So, you know, music's been a really big part of my life. I started playing piano around the age of nine. And from there, I just enjoyed it. I played competitively, performed competitively, various competitions around the country from a domestic standpoint, as well as international standpoint. I was part of the orchestra, so I played piano and I also played viola. And a few times I played piano with the orchestra, traveled to Carnegie Hall, junior year of high school, performed with the orchestra then, and did various activities within music. I was also part of the Oakland Youth Orchestra, Symphony Orchestra here in Michigan for Oakland County. And I really enjoyed music all my life. And luckily enough, I auditioned for the Detroit Metro Symphony Orchestra here in Metro Detroit. And, you know, I received admission into the orchestra. And so I got to perform for various concerts, you know, with the orchestra. And it is a nonprofit 501c3. And just from the philanthropy side of it, giving back to your community is something that is super critical. It's not something that not a lot of people have time for, but I truly believe that music can touch so many people's lives in one shape or the other. And that's something that I wanted to take that journey and being part of that orchestra. So during my co-op terms, you know, when I'm back home, I would be part of the orchestra and perform at various places, various churches across the Oakland County area. Now, that was just the musical side. Now, the political side in high school, that's kind of where my journey started. In the long run, I wanted to kind of go into political science or international relations as my major, but I really thought I could blend both technology and policy together, just from my technical expertise. I used to serve on the city's planning commission as a student representative. So I was appointed by the mayor back in 2019, where I'd be working with developers across Michigan that wanted to build something new in Troy, would review the development plans, the master plan, and really give the best practices and recommendations for the city. So I was on the commission for a while, and I really got involved with politics, you know, from governmental side of various stipulations. I, you know, I was president of the Troy Public Library's Teen Advisory Board, where we planned basically various events for the Troy Public Library when it came down to the youth. And 
at that time, I met a lot of individuals that were serving on city council. And, you know, I got more involved with the city in various campaigns. And soon enough, I became the campaign manager for our current Troy mayor, Ethan Baker, who is currently the mayor of Troy. And, you know, single-handedly, I led the campaign and helped out with that. And at the end of the day, he really enjoyed, you know, the outcome. Obviously, he's mayor now. So it took a really big turn into who I am as a person with the various leadership skills that I gained from that. So and I still wanted to continue that when, you know, I was at Kettering. So did you, were you able to continue that at Kettering? Yeah, I did. So obviously, I was student vice president for Kettering Student Government. And I also was appointed by Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, being part of the Department of State, and was serving as a liaison, as a member on our task force for the Collegiate Student Task Force for Voting and Integrity across Michigan. And you also mentioned to me that you thought that clubs and organizations that you were part of that were not that, but were actually Kettering sponsored, were important to you. And you said important to take part in while you're at Kettering. Absolutely. So I was part of the SAE auto traffic team. That's where I got to work on all these autonomous vehicles. And a few years down the line here, I am working for an autonomous vehicle startup. I mean, I think my experiences working with various people from the safety side to the hardware engineering side to just the program management side of the team, I got the whole holistic approach and really can showcase that to show that I understand how autonomous vehicles work. And here I am working with autonomous vehicles as my job. Another club I was part of at Kettering was the Model UN team at Kettering. And we would go once a year and represent the university and a specific country at Harvard. And this side of it came into a lot of us, you know, typically being engineers, we didn't really have any knowledge about when it came down to international relations or political science. But a lot of the claims and a lot of the policies that we passed at the conference was in relation to technical matters that involved engineering, cybersecurity, defense. And having that technical knowledge really helped us pass those resolutions successfully. So did you sleep over those five years or did you give that up while you were at Kettering? I did sleep for, I tried to make the eight hours, sometimes less, sometimes more, but depending on the situation, you know, I think time management is critical, especially if you're going to go to Kettering University. You need to understand that you're in for the ride. And after you graduate, you'll be using those skills successfully for making sure that you're going to be the best person to know how to manage your time. Well, now you could be in grad school if you'd gone to Michigan. Right now, you could have a job if you'd gone to Michigan Tech. That's what people do after college. What has shaped you? What has going to Kettering done to leave you in the place you're in? And how might you be in a different spot had you gone to a more traditional university? Of course, that's a hypothetical question. But how would things be different for you right now had you gone to a traditional school? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good question. Obviously, if I went to, let's say, the University of Michigan, right, I think my life would have been different. I wouldn't have as much experience to where I am right now because you're at a bigger school, a lot more competition, and it's hard to stand out within your employer or even finding a job, right? And the analogy that I like to use is that there's the ocean and there's a sea, right? And the fishermen are the employers, and there's a bunch of fish yeah. in the sea, and at Kettering, you're the sharks, you're the bigger fish, 
because you can stand out from all the experiences that you've had in corporate America. And the smaller fish are just the regular university students that have had the one summer or two summers of internship. We're getting more experience than a typical university student because of our program, right? And with more experience comes more money. So at the end of the day, when you're transferring jobs or finding a new opportunity, this experience does count because you have worked on real world projects and creating not just an impact, but a sustainable one at a lot of these companies. And I dare say you would have entered in an entry level position unless you'd happen to find some comparable work to your co-op at Kettering, as opposed to entering as a level two mid-range position. Is that correct? I agree with that, Tim. I mean, if I went to another school, you'll probably be in rotational program just coming out of college, or you'll probably even just interning. And then based on your intern performance, they'll convert you to full time. But this is just not me. There's a lot of individuals that graduate from Kettering and that are going to the mid to higher level positions coming out of college because of your experience. And your academic, you mentioned to me that you have some thoughts on going beyond your master's. Is that correct? I have thought about that. That is correct. I mean, obviously, going to Kettering University, one of the most reputable and hardest universities in the country and in the world, really has given me the opportunity to apply to other schools as well. And not just Berkeley that I received admission into, but into New York University, Georgetown, Georgia Tech, Carnegie Mellon. So some of those schools really also stood out for me and where I received admission. And it's really given me the opportunity to think where else I can go after Berkeley. If it's continuing and receiving another degree at the University of California, Berkeley, or possibly go to another university and also pursue a PhD or a master's in public policy. Well, let's switch over. It's kind of interesting the path you've taken because I'm connected with a lot of kids who go on more traditional paths and they seem to be left in a different place. Not a bad place, a good place, but it's a different place than the one you're in and your colleagues are in. Talk to me a little bit about, first of all, autonomous vehicles. We've seen with electric vehicles, there was a huge push to that. And now at the end of 2023, there's some backing off of that. But where do we stand with autonomous vehicles? What's the future? Where are we headed? What's first? When will we start seeing them more commonly? You told me most of the ones that you do are hybrid, right, from the electric standpoint. That is correct, yeah. And I think you know, looking at the future of ADs, autonomous vehicles, we've seen what Tesla has been doing, enabling that system configuration for individuals to purchase where they can get a fully automated car for a set price. And that's just from a touch of a button on their screen, they can enable that feature. But at the same time, we also see other cities that are increasingly using autonomous vehicles. For example, we've seen Waymo, which is out of California, that uses autonomous vehicles. And where I'm working right now, May Mobility, we're transforming the future in a greener and safer way for the use of autonomous vehicles. And a lot of these autonomous vehicles are basically equipped with various components and systems that have to work together to enable them to navigate and operate without human intervention, right? That's the end goal of an AV. But part of an AV comes so many technical aspects than compared to an 
you know, a normal car that's going from point A to point B, right? You have the LIDAR scanner, which is basically the light detection and ranging feature. And that uses laser light to measure distances and creates a detailed 3D map of the vehicle surroundings. You also have the radar, which is the radio detection and ranging, you know, using the radio waves to detect objects and their distances. And then you also have the cameras to capture visual information to basically identify objects, any pedestrians, or even road signs. And then sometimes you also have the ultrasonic sensors, which also measure the distance to objects using sound waves. So that's just one part or one critical part of an AV, of an autonomous vehicle. But there's also, you know, like the GPS, there's the inertia, the inertial measurement unit, there's control systems, and there's also communication systems because those all have to work and communicate from one to another, from you know, vehicle to vehicle or from vehicle to infrastructure. And there's obviously the, the big computer that's operating all of this within the vehicle, um, you know, their graphics processing unit or even their central processing unit that's processing all this data from sensors and, you know, runs the algorithms and even has to make the decision of going left or right, putting a brake or even going forward. So is it fair to say that the last stop for a widespread AV will be private vehicles and that there'll be a lot of starts in like baggage transport at airports and other technical vehicles and then buses and ultimately cars. Is that the path for the deployment of AV? Yeah, absolutely. I think right now what we're seeing is that if you really think about it from a machinery standpoint, there used to be people putting caps on toothpaste and a lot of human intervention today. And as the years go forward, we see that a lot of people are not interfering with machinery. You know, for example, we see at the airport where bags are automatically being sorted by airlines or being tracked autonomously as well. And in the future, that's what the world is trying to get is with transportation. They don't want human intervention. We see subways, specific some subways or even trains that are autonomous in other countries. And that's just one way where the industry is really relying and going forward with to use less human intervention. I think a lot of companies, their long run is to have no humans in the vehicle to operate in just the central unit system. And how long how long is it until we all have mostly autonomous vehicles in our driveways? So as of right now, already Tesla's in pretty good fulfillment in doing that. But if we're looking at 100% autonomy in multiple ways of transportation, I would say that at least the next 15 to 25 years. It'll be there. Will I be able at that time, if I end up in front of Baskin Robbins, I can blame it on my car and I didn't have anything to do with it? I think that's going to be before the 15 and 25 years for you to blame that. But I think when I say 15 to 25, I think that's going to be the most safest and efficient way to have a vehicle that can take you to point A to point B without any hazards taking place for any company right now. It's, it's, it's a long road. In general, there's a lot of companies. It is. It is a long road. And there's so many risks that come into it. But the safety of the passenger is critical. Now, tell me about your end of this, or at least your end currently, the cybersecurity part of that. What are we securing against? 
Absolutely. No, for sure. When you're looking at autonomous vehicles, cybersecurity is critical, right? There are so many companies right now that focus on the vehicle cybersecurity, but there are only a few companies that are only targeting autonomous vehicles. And just from my perspective, I believe that autonomous vehicles have a bigger vulnerability when it comes to cybersecurity. And that's why I really enjoy working with autonomous vehicles from a cybersecurity standpoint. And it's important in the context of AVs, you know, because of the integration of advanced technologies and connectivity, there's the potential risks associated with cyber threats have serious consequences on the safety and even the functionality of autonomous vehicles. So we look at safety concerns, right? A lot of autonomous vehicles rely heavily on software and communication systems to operate safely. Any compromise in the cybersecurity of these systems could basically lead to various malfunctions and even putting the safety of passengers, pedestrians, or other road users at risk. And now really shifting on what, from the compliance standpoint, when looking at cybersecurity, we look at data privacy. A lot of autonomous vehicles generate and collect a um, vast amount of data, right, including information about the vehicle's surroundings, passengers, and navigation routes. Ensuring the privacy and security of the sensitive data is critical, right? Because protect individuals' privacy and prevent unauthorized access. And we see a lot of threats when it comes down to cybersecurity and vehicles, not just AVs, but in general, right? There's been instances where people have remotely hacked into clubs. Now, as AVs are equipped with communication systems, there is a risk of remote hacking. Cyber attacks might attempt to gain basically unauthorized access to vehicle control systems and potentially taking over a lot of these critical functions like steering, acceleration, or braking. And that is why at the end of the day, cybersecurity plays a big role just from the safety standpoint, data privacy, as well as just from the software perspective, making sure there's, you know, secure code that's being deployed to a lot of these vehicles. So, I mean, some fairly sophisticated organization could take over 10, 20, 50 cars in New York City and screw up a lot of stuff, correct? Is that part of the issue? That is the issue, not just in AVs, but in the transportation sector. There's been already attacks. We're looking at threat actors from China, from the Middle East, that have been targeting the U.S. and targeting individuals, various companies like GM, look forward, and the big three, tier three automotive suppliers in the country. We've had incidents on the road where the infotainment systems have been hacked and have been displaying messages that are unwanted. Well, I've kept you a while, and I, I appreciate this. I think that your journey, I feel like I'm talking to somebody who's 38, not 23 or 24, because of where you're at in your career. And I think you're still contemplating politics, feeding that in there at some point if the opportunity arises. Is that correct? That is correct. I mean, I've taken one step recently serving on my city's Brownfield Redevelopment Authority, you now working with the city and individuals that want to bring bigger developments to the city where I am right now. And maybe in the future, I think there's been a lot of controversy on cybersecurity relations with countries. And that is where, you know, having that technical knowledge can definitely help from any individual that's running for office. Terrific. Well, Hemanth Tadapali, I thank you very much for your time. And I wish you continued good luck. Congratulate you on your 
success thus far, and I look forward to maybe talking again at some point. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Tim. I really appreciate it. Join us again to hear Kettering University's podcast, Horsepower to Hyperloops, available from wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.